Hello and welcome to The Garden Pot. This is episode, I'm going to say episode 7, I'm not totally convinced that's right, um, but whatever, it doesn't really matter. Okay, so this one I think is great for anybody who is interested in a good discussion, and having listened to it again, I'm a bit annoyed with myself that I, I didn't release this one earlier. This is a conversation with a young lady called uh, Michaelie Nye, who is a year 13 student at our school at Garden. Uh, it was recorded when she was at the end of year 12. And this is a discussion which I think is really interesting, um, and it highlights her views on a number of different issues revolving around feminism primarily. Um, it all started a long time ago, a couple of years ago, in fact, as part of one of our inquiry projects, and an interest has sort of burned on since then. I've been really privileged to have a number of conversations with Mightley, and she shared with me her views and thoughts on, on all sorts of different topics, and it was because of that that I... I thought, okay, let's get you on, uh, because I'm sure other people can benefit from your ideas. She's a force of nature in many ways, um, really strong-minded, exceptionally articulate, I think wise uh, beyond her years, Um, and a real pleasure to talk to her and listen to her, and I think, uh, I hope that you as the audience feel the same way. Uh, Now, I think to frame all of this, one of the great advantages of working in an international school, is we do have these sort of intercultural intersections where we get to spend time and talk to so many people from so many different backgrounds. I'm a a good middle-class boy from Birmingham in England, and I'm talking to a young woman from the south of India who comes from a very, very different background to I do, and we happen to meet in this place we call school. Um, And what a wonderful opportunity that gives us. So I think we can have more conversations about this, more conversations around the differences in in our cultures and attitudes and ideas towards all sorts of things. This one happens to be about feminism, but we could change the topic to to anything else. Um, It's also a call to action. Michaelie's really interested in this topic and really wants to do something about it. That's still as true now as it was when we recorded it. Um, but she's also a very busy year 13 student, so I think these passions will continue um, and she's going to go on to great things. Um, we might talk to her again, hopefully in, in, a, in a while's time, and see where she is. All right, I'm babbling. Enough of me. Um, pass you on to a conversation with Mightily Nair. Okay, we're sitting here today with uh, Maitali Nair, who is in year 12 at Garden International School, um, and we've got all sorts of interesting things to talk about. Uh, Maitali, do you want to just want to introduce yourself before we before we get on? Uh, sure. Um, hi, I'm Maitali. I'm from year 12. I um, I don't know. I'm 17. My interests, I guess, range between a lot of things. I love talking to people, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. I do, I love talking to people, I love knowing about their opinions about the world and politics, especially in such a thriving time for globalization. And, and your, um, your subjects at A-level, oh, uh, not that's the defining feature of you, yes, might obviously. Might give us a sense. Um, my subjects right now are chemistry, maths, economics, and English literature. And would it be fair to say that you quite enjoy a good debate? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, five to six years worth of continuous debating has kind of, you know, led me into being a pure, purely argumentative person. But I do love hearing both sides of any argument, which is 
really important stuff. So you've got the honour of being our second guest. Oh, well, not, thank not you. Quite the first. <laughs> <laughs> better, better late than never, honestly. Um, so to give to give everybody a bit of context mm-hmm. about sort of why you're here and, and what we're talking about, our paths crossed, I guess, properly. How many? Four years ago. Four years ago. Four years 2013, ago. 2013, 2014. When you were in year nine, mm-hmm. and during during. Uh, that time we did an inquiry project. It was one of our big inquiries. It was one of the first ones, in fact. Um, and I don't know, Mike, what did you, maybe you can talk this through better than I can. What did you become interested in as part of that process? Um, unfortunately, I don't ent- recall all of the details of inquiry. It sounds really bad. But what we were really asked to do was, for the first time, we were properly asked to assimilate with kids from other year, uh, other classes in our year group. So I was placed in a group with people I probably never even had a, like spoken a word to before and I had no idea how this would work out and I'm I can't put this in the best way but I'm quite the kind of person that takes up charge really quickly at least then and I think even now there's still good traces of it so um, we kind of ended up going into this project where the four of us I think the most unlikely four people to start like a really interesting project was it was called Project Stone and I think the idea came from this newly discovered atrocity to us which was the stoning of um, uh, women in the um, I don't know more backward Arab world yeah more of the more conservative Arab world where it's really um, prevalent and there were a few I think that was the first time I was properly exposed to abuse of women and it was eye-opening for a 13, 14 year old to be like, whoa, this happens, this is real, I'm pretty sure someone gets stoned like once a month, like that is, that's insane. And just how primitive this practice of trying to suppress ideas and suppress crime to an extent was really shocked, I think, the four of us, my three teammates and I, and we thought of this incentive to kind of try and get funds and try and raise awareness about it. And the idea was that with the same stones that men throw at this treacherous entity, that is this woman who's buried up to her neck to try and kill her, try to at least, you know, suppress her and teach the society a lesson, was that we use those same stones and we have our symbol. Our logo was a lotus or a, a kind of interpretation of a lotus to show the different, um, you know, the different, pla- the seven different countries. I, if, I don't, if I recall right, it was a seven, seven-petaled lotus that showed the seven different countries where it was the most popular, stoning as a practice, and we would put those on these rocks and we'd have people take selfies and tag us to kind of make it like an online trend kind of thing. And each of these pictures, every time someone takes a picture, the rock would be passed on and everyone would, you know, it, would, it was that kind of, it was a very... Small. I, I I wouldn't say small, but I would probably say it was a very, I don't know, it's a very contained idea. But I did think it had a lot of promise. Yeah, and no, I think for I remember sort of walking around. This is one of the projects that that sort of I I led on within the school. So I I was lucky that I got to see lots and lots of different projects. And your project in particular, I just remember walking up and it wasn't necessarily the selfie aspect of it yeah and I think now you'd probably agree maybe that side of things would have faded off if we'd yeah. have continued with it but it was more the the picking up of the stone yeah and you'd ha- you had your logo on it and it's th- the that, same that tool. mental link between yeah. holding this physical thing in my hand 
and thinking of casting it at another human being simply to suppress for, for being a woman in many cases yeah. you know for um was was quite shocking and i think it had an effect on on a number of people and i you know unlike you i, I knew about stoning yeah. i'd seen documentaries and read articles yeah. but that particular that physicality of that stone um was really quite something so maybe maybe you could talk about what we tried and i think probably fair to say had an initial failure really yeah but what did we try to do after that i think what I think what we'd started off with was with a product and we were trying desperately hard to try and find some way to launch it, try and find some way to get it up and running. So and to give that some context, yeah. uh, Mycey and her group decided that actually this was something that you'd like to take on yeah. beyond the inquiry process, which yeah. I think at the time was, was it two days or three days? Three days after. <laughs> yeah, three, let's, call, let's call it three days. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, you wanted to take that on, so we had a conversation. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right, maybe you pick up where you left off there, that we had a product. We had a product that was ready, or at least what we thought was like feasible to start and you know, bring out and get, get everyone excited about, but then it kind of died off. And I think within, like as silly as it seems to say now, Within the midst of year nine option selecting for IGCSEs, we kind of just got all four of us got pretty caught up in that, and we kind of just let it dwindle away, I guess. But in retrospect, we may have been able to do something, but I don't feel like, you know, with how fickle viral trends are these days, I don't feel like it would have been too permanent. Yeah, and I mean the, uh, the 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 sort of the options year nine G is a, probably a whole different discussion. It's so, today, right? It sounds so bad. But we'll leave that we'll leave that for <laughs> another day, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this this great idea, this this sort of thing that you created, definitely has stayed with you though, hasn't it? Because the next time we pick this up is this year, yeah. right? So it faded off and you've gone through GCSEs and you've, you've been very successful. And, uh, um, you know, <laughs> thank in, you. You're now into your A-levels. Um, and you came to see me a couple of months ago, I think, yeah. and, and asked, hey, what about we, we revisit that? Yeah. So what was, the, what was the spark for that? Why did you come back to it? Um, I think we had our student leadership conference sometime, I think, mid November, and that's when I remember I had attended a workshop of yours where you were talking about the kind of leader that yeah. people see themselves as. Yeah. And um, I think there were three deciding factors. So one was your um, leadership conference, like people that see themselves as wanting to grow monetarily successful, and the other one was, I don't, I don't remember what the second one was, it was something about being happy or you know, being self-contained and hedonistic. Embarrassingly, I can't remember, but I'm sure it was good stuff. <laughs> it was something, yeah. it, was, it was great. Yeah. But I clearly remember that I couldn't identify myself with any of those final options that you'd given because I, I as, as strange as this seems for me to admit myself I've always wanted to see and I've always seen myself as someone who wants to bring change I, a hopefully good change there could be initial bad change I don't know but I wanted to bring change and whether that be to a social issue whether that be to an economic issue I don't know but I've always I don't know, kind of identified as someone that wants to do something that can help people. And when you say always, so when, when did that, what kind of age did that start for you? I wanted to be a doctor when I was little. <laughs> I think it started there because um, with, um, I'd seen a lot of really bad cases of, you know, like poorly managed health and yeah. people that didn't take care of themselves. And the fir my first instinct 
even today, it's immediately just like, we need to fix you. We need to take you somewhere. We need to get you fixed up. Yeah. So I think that's just always been like this kind of first instinct of mine. But even though I don't want to, you know, study 10 years of medicine now, I still have that kind of, is it a drive? It's kind of like an inner drive to want to affect change. Yeah. And, you know, GIS is a great place to, you know, come and talk to teachers and kind of pester them. Like, hey, I have an idea. What do you think? Because that's kind of what I'm doing now. But it was that student leadership conference. It was um, President Donald Trump's um, October 19th or 21st um, TMZ leak video about... Um, uh, the the words we can't use. The words we can't use. Um, yeah. yeah, that. Um, the yeah. Very Which is another podcast to itself, right? <laughs> politics is not what we're discussing, yeah. but yes, that was a very big um, terrifying factor because yeah. I was like, whoa, people that, that are running for president are entitled to, like, they can say this, mm. but they can still win for that's that, that was really just like, wow. And then um, I had seen a movie... I think just around the time of when I emailed you, so the weekend after student leadership, I saw this movie about how there is almost like a handbook for women on how to behave in public so that they don't unintentionally attract the, um, you know, the attention of men, like unwanted attention. So it was, it was satirical because it was the protagonist um, complaining that this, this exists. Like, yeah. oh, rule number one in the handbook of how women shouldn't behave, there it is. So... It was all of these three things, like, this is the world that I live in, this is the society I'm going to grow up in, how can I fix that? Yeah. Genuinely. So that sort of perfect storm of uh, things came together. Yeah, <laughs> really. So it's fair to say that your, your beliefs on this haven't changed or altered, I think the yeah, drive to do something about it has yeah. just sort of returned with, with gusto. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so last time in year nine, at 14, you, we came up with this sort of product, where well, you came up with this, this product. Um, and now our conversations since then have, have sort of driven us in a slightly different direction. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about where we're at at the moment with our thinking. Sure, I don't yeah. mind. Um, I think what we started was, again, to refer back to year nine, we started off with a product. And when I approached Mr. Wellings this time around, I, it was more, okay, let's leave the final product behind we should start focusing more on the why. So why do I want to do this? What exactly was so, you know, you could almost say what irked me so much that I had to come and try and fix something because I think the best ideas come out of something you're really, really passionate about. Yeah. And if you're not, or if there's even like this inkling of doubt that, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, maybe that's not it. Yeah. And I really had that, especially for this small little idea that I have right now, I'm really, really passionate about it. And it's mostly, it's almost entirely focused on abuse of women. And it was just recalling like instances where I could um, pick apart like what really drove me up the wall. Cause like, I was like, this happened. This is what I don't like about it. But why don't I like is because you know, this, 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 and this. Mm. And I think I had two or three sessions with you where all I would do is very, when Mr. Wellings is patient, patiently listening in, it's just me just complaining for like good two and a half hours about anything that like really irks me, so. But th through that, we definitely found 
I think we definitely found some ground which, which seemed to be the thing that kept coming back yeah. over and over again. Yeah. So to give people who don't know you context, your, um, just tell us a little bit about your, the cultural context that you come from. Yeah. Without, I, don't, I don't want you to go too personal, but yeah. just give us a bit of a flavor um, of that. I was born in India, South India, to, um, and, but I moved around a lot because my dad's job kept, you know, he kept moving around. So I never really stayed in one place. Um, I think Kale's the one city I've stayed in the longest, but even here I've moved three schools. So um, yeah, I've never had that sense of permanence, except for just as a like, general tie to my South Indian heritage because of just how you know rooted my parents are. I speak the language fluently just because all of my cousins do, and so. But I visit home frequently, so I can really easily assimilate into the culture. I don't struggle with it at all. And, but I think that's maybe what opened my eyes to the kind of atrocities because yes, although I can fit into the culture, like I, I do not struggle. It's this kind of thinking that's been ingrained by like my different, like, you know, my journeys in all these different cities that have kind of set this kind of like, you know, like a very, I don't want to say I'm, conf I'm not conformed to this westernized ideal of how women should live, you know, the free and happy and doing what they want. But at the same time, I do because I believe that women should be free and do what they want. But that's not a con conforming kind of thing. But so when it would I, be too simple to call you a sort of westernized South Indian. That would be a yeah, too. Yeah, because of, I think, the cultural ties and how deeply rooted I am to my culture. I think it's, it's a bit of a overarch but uh, when I go back home I do see examples of um, you know like educated strong-willed women just kind of making themselves submissive to this culture and that that really drives me up the wall because I, I know people smarter than me more intelligent than me that just kind of accept it and I've never seen that as an option, at least for myself or for anyone in my immediate family. I never thought of that as an option because that's just not something that's done, at least to me. I don't know, I and guess. Yeah, as we push further into that conversation, I think the what was interesting, really interesting for me about the conversation is we tended to, we, we moved away from this stoning idea. Now, not to not to sort of play that small. down oh, or make that small not. or... But, it, but I think you use the words, it's, it's so detached almost. Yeah. And there's so many other things going on and the kinds of patriarchal and misogynistic thinking that lead you to that, that actually you, were in, you became interested more in, in your culture in particular yeah. and some of the things that, that are going on there that you're, you're not happy with and you want to see change and, and maybe that's where you want to sort of spend your time and your, and your energy. So I wonder if there's any more... Um, if there's any more sort of detail about about the things that that, that sort of get you go with regard to, to what you what you see. I mean, to name a few specifics, it's more like this waste of opportunity, I guess. Um, if you take India as a country, um, economically we've been ravaged by multiple wars in the last sixty years. Um, colonization was a good one. Just. You know, there were, there were problems, and we had really declined as a country until we, by the time we got independence. And even after independence, until maybe about 2000, we were always in this, you know, semi-state of war between our neighbors, mm. Pakistan, China. We had constant wars, and we were always in this kind of state, like, will we, will we not? Kind of, you know, it's a very um, precarious situation to be in. So 
I think about 2001, 2002 is when we really started picking up as a country and, you know, more um, issues were broached, like approached in like big limelight. Um, but you see all these young women, millennials especially, you see them, you know, smart, educated, they'd have done up to their bachelor's or master's. I don't, they could study further. But the minute they're done, their parents think that it's okay to just get them married off. And that's oh, where you start. Who says it's okay? Yeah. Okay, all right. If they accept, if they agree to it, okay. But isn't that kind of redundant to everything you've tried to do, everything you've worked so hard towards? Doesn't that kind of defeat its purpose? Because you've worked so hard, you're choosing to live at home for some. Okay, all right. And your, your frustrations became quite clear on that, that this idea of going through education and, and having the options and the doors, sort of more multiple doors open to you, and you've really struggled. Um, I'm putting words in your mouth here, so yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but you've really, you've really struggled to see how people can shut down those doors because of cultural expectations, would that be fair? Because of an expectation of marriage in particular for young, for young women, educated or otherwise? I think it's less of this shutting doors, I guess, like like maybe career, less of shutting doors career-wise than literally just telling them that, oh, no, you're, you're married. Your education is irrelevant. Done. Yeah, let's, yeah. Just, let's just make it simple for yeah. all of us. So actually, it's worse in, in, in your mind than shutting doors. That's, that cheapens it a little bit. A little bit. Cause, but at the same time, I have seen examples of, you know, like young couples that are you know, smart about money and like it, it makes sense if they both work but at the same it's not just about work because yes you have some couples that are like yeah you can work you have some couples that are like nah you don't need to work then you also got some couples that are like yeah you can work but you know make sure your work's kind of like the back seat my, my job's a little bit more important yeah. so it's just, just you know these small little nuances so people that kind of like let, ask their wives to take the back seat mm. So that their career can rise, but the wife can look after the family. Okay, well, that's a strange notion to have that you think that. And is that an expectation within a? Because um, you have an arranged marriage. You have sort of you were explaining to me before, sort of almost kind of semi-arranged marriages, and then you have sort of choice marriages. I yeah, think, so. um, I think most, at least, uh, suburban Indian and South Indian culture almost has kind of evolved from this, instead of, you know, the whole Western um, expectation of what an arranged marriage is, that we probably meet each other on the wedding day. No, we don't. That does not happen, even in, like, really, um, I don't know, small communities, because um, they do meet. Like, it's a part of the wedding process that they meet beforehand, at least, like, five or six months before, and they get to know each other, and then it's kind of like a gradual process, but, you know, there's this whole, like, idea that they only meet on the wedding day. No, that's not what happens. Um, so but just do, because a lot of people listening to this, assuming that a lot of people do listen yeah. to this, which is, <laughs> which is a leap, but a lot of people listening to this won't have that, me included, won't have that sort of deep understanding there. So the original choice of partners is, is done by the family? Is a combination? It's done by the family, because um, I think the family kind of check out any of um, any prospects around the area or otherwise, I mean, depending on what they want in a uh, ideal, but a bride or groom, and then 
they kind of finalize it themselves. Yeah. And then they often give, you know, they talk to the prospective bride or groom. And they're like, oh, what do you think about this? And then yeah. if both families agree and if both families have checked out anything that, you know, they want to check out. So some families are a little bit more conservative and want to check out, like, you know, the horoscope chart and stuff like that. So this <laughs> is a, this is a, you explained quite this to me quite in quite some detail. Yeah. This is a, <laughs> like, almost like an astrological chart. Yeah. Looks as if you're compatible. So, so the yeah. closest I can think of is is a horoscope style. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So uh, they, uh, they check the prenatal charts and, you know, yeah. if everything checks out, I mean, depending on whatever the families require, they arrange a meeting. And this can usually, this usually happens like five or six months before yeah. anything is finalized. Yeah. Like mostly it's, in every case I've seen is five or six months before the wedding. But I know of people that have, you know, taken years from their first meeting to when they finally yeah. tied the knot. So it's not, you know, it's not this whole Western stereotype that we're all really primitive and really meet on the wedding day. No, it doesn't happen. I don't think it ever has. And I think that's important to know, yeah. right? Because I think that that's a misconception that, that definitely exists. Yeah. And certainly where I come from. Yeah. It's an oversimplification of a of what you still regard as a problem, though, right? Or, or is there elements of it that's a problem? I suppose that's what we need to get to now. Yeah. So where in that situation gets you angry? What is it that's, that winds you up? For me, I don't have a problem with the arranged marriage itself. The marriage that, you know, a parent's... Because when you get married, you know, by choice, obviously, it's like, like regular people do, uh, you do have the hurdle, at least if you're close to your parents, you often have the hurdle of have to discuss it with your parents. Like, you know, like, what do you think about this person? But if they disapprove and you're really close to them or if you're really close to your family, that'll immediately, you know, set kind of like a... It's, it's, it's problematic, especially if you're close to your family. So the thing with Indian culture is most of us are very close to our family. Yeah. There's very... I, I don't really hear many cases of kids that aren't close to their family or their immediate, like, cousins and aunts and uncles. And if they don't approve of your, you know, who you want to get married to, first option that comes up to most of the people is to run away, which isn't, you know, the best way to do it. So I think a lot of Indian millennials or people that are willing to get married, they often let their parents do this first filter, that they don't have to go through worrying about whether or not their parents approve. But my issue with this is that once their parents have gone through the filter, two things. One, it's hard to say no. You can't refuse someone that your parents are like, oh, they're perfect. They're so good for you. They're going to be perfect. Um, and two, it's hard to f genuinely find out what kind of person they are yeah. because they've been screened by their parents. They've been screened by your parents. Mm. You've been screened by their parents. So it's like this, con this consensual, like, yep, everybody approves. You guys can go do this. Yeah. But there's no time for them to actually know what each other like. So they might put out this kind of like facade mm. for a few months or maybe some people can do it for a few years until you really know what they're like. And then you, you, you just might not till it's too late. And then you, you're in a legal contract that you're just like, oh no, how do I get out? You yeah. can't. And it's this, and again, if I'm putting words in your mouth, please, I'm, I know you will, <laughs> you'll stop. Um, but it's this, this at this stage where you feel that that's where young women's options are, are being closed down to them yeah. because the the attitude still prevails that the male is more important um, and the male's career is more important and the, yeah. the woman's job there is to have to have children to look after the house and yeah. to put things on hold is that is that a fair representation yes 
and no. Okay. So let's <laughs> um, go with the no. <laughs> uh, yes, because you do see a lot of women either stopping or taking a back seat. Um, maybe solely not to just, you know, keep up, um, you know, to have kids and you know, raise the next generation. But it's just, they just do it because it's probably what's more comfortable for the guy, what he's used to, yeah. what he's used to seeing growing up. It's been like that for a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's what yeah. he's probably used to seeing growing up. So um, taking my family into example, um, my parents, both of them work. I'm used to seeing both parents doing their thing. That's, that, that's how I've seen it. Now, some people might not have, you know, have that kind of presence where, like, their mom works, like, all the time and she's, like, a workaholic and so is my dad, so, so is their dad. So, I mean, a lot, there's going to be a bigger percentage of families where the father only works and he works a lot while the mother stays at home versus the other way or versus both families, both parents working. So it's just this mindset that it's likely that the groom has grown up with or the husband has grown up with that the men have worked and the men should work. Mm. Now, that is ingrained from childhood, mm. as seen in like almost every case. Like They have this preconceived notion that, oh, yep, yeah, I'm a dude. I need to work. My, my wife can sit at home. That's fine. Yeah. If she wants to, she can sit at home. No, yeah. Nobody minds. So. And it takes, I mean, just, just sort of culturally to break that, it takes... Some really different thinking people, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not, it's you know, not that's easy. what you know. Yeah. So, okay, so we're, we're probably drawing relatively close to it, to our finishing point. Yeah. So, what is it that you want to change then? Where's your, because this is actually the least animated I think I've seen. I think, yeah. Because we've talked. I've really suppressed it today. <laughs> yeah, because we've talked about it so much now. Um, and trust me, Michael gets, gets pretty cross about this when she wants to. Um, which is in a good way, righteous, yeah. righteous indignation. It's a good thing. Um, so what is it that you want to see change? And this is where we've got to in our conversation, yes. you, the, the why and what do we want to do? What, what's the, what would the win be here? What, what do you believe that you can do as an agent of change? There's a lot to change. But um, what I hope to change in whatever small or big way I can is mindset. And that's probably the hardest thing to break. Mm. Because um, people, when they get set into a belief it's really hard to break it unless you've got like incredibly persuasive, an incredibly persuasive idea to come with. Yeah. So what I really, really want to make a difference in is how people perceive women, how people perceive women in a marriage, how people perceive women on a daily basis, yeah. in terms of abuse, in terms of work. There's just so many things to work towards. Mm. But I just want to, like genuinely, I want to be the true definition of what a feminist is. I want to see a world where everyone's equal and where, you know, no one gender, one sex has, you know, priority or trumps over the other. Like, that's not, that's not the best place yeah. to be. Like, the ideal state is never that. And it, and it is tough. Um, it's tough. It's incredibly tough. But <laughs> yeah. I think what's really important about what you're suggesting and what you're wanting to do is stoning, for example, where we started this journey yeah. all that time ago. If you make a stoning illegal, which without doubt we would agree that that's, that's got to happen, yeah. but just getting rid of stoning doesn't solve the underlying problem no, of attitude. No. And what you're talking about, I think, is, is attitude. It's changing, Whether yeah. conscious or subconscious. Yeah. And, and I think the point you made about this cultural bringing up, that's all boys have known in yeah. particular and all girls that have known. 
um, that's, that's a real problem. Um, and that's where we're at with our discussion, isn't it? Working yeah. out, okay, so who do we, who do we target here? Do we, do we target young men? Do we target young women? Do we target everybody? How do we approach it? And I think we've got more questions than answers at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the reasons to have you on this discussion was to, to throw this out there and, and see if people are interested and yeah. want to join the conversation in something which, is, which we really do believe is, is, is important. Yeah. Um, so if we were to talk again in, I don't know, a year's time, what, what, might, you, what might you hope for? It's a tough question. It is a tough question. I think I would have hoped to have moved on from where we are is why and we're kind of edging towards the how or the how. And um, where we're talking about is, you know, we've kind of got this whole why established, but what are we going to do next? So I think my intention is to break attitude. Like my ultimate goal is to break attitude. But how would I do that is I'm hoping that I would have done something with kids and parents. Yeah. because they're the best audience. Yeah. Kids are the ones that get influenced. Yeah. Parents are the ones that influence. Mm. So best case scenario, I'm in a school, perfect timing. Um, I can hopefully, you know, try and start some kind of work. I don't know what yet, but yeah. with both of these age groups, one of small kids, maybe about from like six to ten, mm-hmm. that are really, really impressionable. And... You know, parents whose morals are more likely to be a little bit more set, but just to, you know, bring out this fact that your kids do learn from what you show, and it is really important that you show them what you want them to show in the world. So, yeah. I think, yeah, and it's a a great aim, and the conversations that we've had, I know that certainly I think you've taught me, really, that... You don't have to necessarily rush these things and no. thinking about them properly and, and not trying to solve them all in, all in one go, which yeah. is maybe where we were a couple of years ago, yeah. is okay yeah. because it, it allows us to think a lot more deeply. Um, and that's been great. And I, I look forward to, to our conversations continuing. Uh, and if anybody out there, uh, one of the, the, the two people who listen to me, <laughs> no, I'm sure there'll be lots. If anybody out there wants to get in touch with The Garden Pod, um, then do let us know and we can put you in touch with, with Mightily. Um, and that really uh, leaves us with lots of questions, which yes. we're going to go away and, and look at. Um, but I just wanted to thank you for your time today um, and coming on this. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, your attitude... Yeah. And what you're trying to do is, is a really positive thing. And I'm, Thank you. I'm pretty confident, whether it's now or whether it's at university or after university, that, that change will happen and you will bring it. So Can't keep, wait. On, <laughs> keep on charging. Can't wait. Right. Thank you. And that's it. And we'll see you next time on the, on the Garden Pod. All Thanks, right. Miley.